Today on Government Matters, closer than ever to the end of the pandemic, the Special Inspector General for Pandemic Recovery on the data he's using to stop waste, fraud and abuse. A new budget and new management agenda due soon from the new administration. Two of the top watchdogs in government on solving money and management problems for good. And the number one story of the week, the Space Force locked in for good at the Defense Department. What's next for the newest branch of the military? Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Congress is closer to another round of pandemic relief after a late-night vote in the Senate on Thursday. More money flowing out will mean more oversight to prevent waste, fraud, and abuse, and data will be a key piece of that oversight. Brian Miller is Special Inspector General for Pandemic Recovery. Brian, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. How is your office using data for its work? Francis, first of all, it's very nice to be on the program. Thank you for inviting me. Good to talk with you once again. And uh, we are using data. We're scrubbing all sorts of data sets. And uh, uh, we have a great team of analysts and uh, auditors and investigators that are scrubbing data uh, endlessly. In our last report, we referred to 69 referrals where we've scrubbed the data, various data sets of all the data uh, being collected on CARES Act programs. And uh, we've, we've uh, found 69 cases where we suspect that there is fraud. There are people uh, misusing the CARES Act money and potentially uh, committing criminal acts or at least uh, misusing it and should pay the money back. You and I have seen any number of inspectors general, special inspectors general over the years in Washington. SIGTARP was a big one during the yes. uh, recovery in 2008, 2009. How is the work that you're doing structurally and mission wise different than uh, and similar to the work of some of these other inspectors general? A great question, Francis. Uh, spe special inspector general is kind of parachuted in to a, a federal agency. And remember, the agency already has a, an, an inspector general. And so we're parachuted in and with, with a very limited budget and a limited mission. My limited mission is to look at CARES Act programs. And so we're looking, we're looking at that limited mission with, uh, uh, and trying to accomplish that within an agency that already has an inspector general. In the case of the Department of the Treasury, it already has uh, the IG for the Treasury. It has the SIGTARP is still there. We have the uh, tax administration IG. Uh, and so we have uh, a number of other special uh, IGs in the agency. And so I have to do my job in coordination with them and in coordination with other IGs. And I'm working very closely with other IGs and with the uh, pandemic uh, Relief Accountability Commission. It's the, it is a committee of other IGs and um, then the Congressional Oversight Commission, and I call it the trifecta of oversight because with a global pandemic, that's an unprecedented challenge in and of itself, requires unprecedented solutions, and uh, the, the Congress worked on an unprecedented, unprecedented solution in the CARES Act 
But that requires unprecedented oversight. And so they created the, what I call the trifecta, the Congressional Oversight Commission, the uh, Pandemic Relief Accountability Commission, we call it the PRAC, and the Special IG for Pandemic Recovery, which is my office. And so we're trying to account for all the monies going out under the CARES Act. And I know that many Americans are focused on their, their health and the health of their loved ones. And uh, with this pandemic, there's a lot of challenges, but I want them to know that at the uh, Special IG for Pandemic Recovery, we are focusing on catching the bad guys that are taking advantage of this money in these programs and trying to make sure that their hard-earned dollars are going to actually relieve Americans that are in trouble by this uh, pandemic. The chair of the PRAC, Michael Horowitz, will join us in just a few moments to talk about his work. You wrote recently in a quarterly report to Congress, Brian, SIGPER spent, uh, necessarily spent much of its nascent stage navigating the challenges of standing up an office in the midst of a pandemic. But our early efforts have borne fruit. What's the fruit that you see so far in the work that you've done? Well, first of all, Francis, um, we are building the airplane as we're flying it, and not just flying it, but flying it through an unprecedented storm, uh, that storm being the global pandemic. And so we're trying to build an office out of scratch, out of nothing, and that takes a lot of work. Um, we have all sorts of challenges in hiring, establishing email, establishing uh, uh, computer security, um, and you know, IT security. And uh, not only that, but also renting space, hiring people. There are all sorts of challenges. And in a pandemic, everything is harder because people are working from home. And so it takes a longer time. Nevertheless, we are seeing results. We are coming through, as I mentioned before, data sets, databases. We are developing leads. We are working with U.S. attorneys. I have a memoranda of understanding with uh, over 10 U.S. attorneys. We have AUSA assistant U.S. attorneys assigned to our cases, and we're working in conjunction. We're working with the assistant U.S. attorneys to develop potential criminal cases, and so all that takes a lot of time. But we are seeing results. We are getting our cases accepted in the U.S. attorney's office, accepted for prosecution, and uh, developing all these leads, which we 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 give to our partners, our other IGs and other law enforcement partners. So as, as I mentioned in the report, we have 69 uh, referrals. And, uh, and so we're, we are actually producing a, a lot of uh, good results for this short amount of time that we've been in existence, especially when you take into account how long it takes to get up and running. And I could regale you with stories about all the difficulties, but I know we're short on time and I did talk about some of them in our quarterly reports, especially about the length of time, just to hire a retired senior executive uh, into the government, which should have taken a week, ended up taking a month, and uh, difficulties in hiring uh, law enforcement agents and that sort of thing. But they're all documented in our quarter, quarterly reports on SIGPER.gov. Brian, I look forward to having you come back and talk about some of those challenges and how you're dealing with them. Brian Miller, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you, Francis. Good, good to be with you. You can find a link to that quarterly report at govmatters.tv slash resources. Up next, a new budget and a new management agenda for the new administration. Straight ahead on Government Matters, a new push to make management problems disappear. You're watching ABC7.
Welcome back. The Biden administration's already at work on a new president's management agenda. According to the Council of Inspectors General on Integrity and Efficiency, some of the government's top management challenges have been on the list for a lot longer than the pandemic's been around, and the virus has made some of them worse. Allison Lerner is chair of SIGI, Inspector General at the National Science Foundation. Michael Horowitz is chair of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee and Inspector General at the Justice Department. Folks, welcome. Thanks very much for joining me today. Allison, I start with you. How are some of the top management cha uh, challenges across government either getting worse or staying the same because of the pandemic? Certainly, we've seen some of these challenges, which are not new, um, affected, being affected by the impact of all of the money that has been pushed out to respond to the pandemic challenges. One of the examples that we have um, at the Department of Transportation, the agency there had just gotten to the point where their improper payment rate was below 1%, which is outstanding. But they're quite concerned that because of the, the, the need to push out a great deal of money and the, the fact that they were unable, probably unable to examine the money as carefully when it was going out, that that improper payment rate is going to increase. And that's just one example of the impact of, uh, you know, the, the, the attempt to respond to the pandemic on pre-existing challenges. Michael, how is all of this affecting the individual offices of inspectors general across government where these agencies have to push through these vast amounts of money in short periods of time and may or may not have the infrastructures necessary to be able to keep tabs on where the money's going the way they need to. Well, it's having a very substantial impact on IGs, particularly as those of us who oversee significant spending uh, related to the pandemic. We've got not only the uh, issues that we've always had to deal with as IGs in conducting our oversight, but when you're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars uh, for your individual agency, um, and conducting oversight over those additional uh, dollars, particularly with the kind of fraud and, and improper payments that we're seeing at uh, agencies like SBA with the PPP program, at the Labor Department with the Unemployment Insurance Program and others, it creates challenges upon challenges for those IGs. What does the landscape of oversight look like, Michael? I mentioned as you came on the program that you're leading the PRAC, Brian Miller, uh, from the, uh, uh, the Special Inspector General for Pan uh, Pandemic Recovery was on the program a moment ago. What does this look like overall, and where do your colleagues on SIGI fit into that landscape, Michael? So when Congress created the PRAC through the CARES Act, um, what the PRAC was intended to do and what we are doing is bringing together all of those IGs that have responsibility over uh, oversight uh, at their agencies and making sure we're being coordinated, uh, working together on these issues, and thinking about cross-cutting challenges um, that we're seeing. For example, data gaps. Uh, those are critical to conducting oversight. We've got to get the data to understand um, how the money is being spent, whether it's being spent wisely, whether it's going to the places it should be going, and whether there's uh, fraudsters out there that are misusing the programs. Allison, the waste, fraud, and abuse topic is one that the three of us have spoken about on a number of occasions. How is that changing, and how, how are you and your colleagues adjusting to those changes as a result both of the pandemic and as a result of some of these management challenges, as you alluded to, being here for a while, not necessarily going away very much? 
I think one of the important things that we do is come together and try to identify situations, as Michael alluded to earlier, where you have uh, challenges and, and fraud schemes that cross multiple agencies and work together closely and carefully to combat those schemes collectively and not individually. And we've seen some great success doing that in the grant fraud context. And I think we'll be seeing more and more of that uh, over time as people see the benefits of combining to, to tackle these challenges. Last time you were on the program, Allison, was when you had just taken over as the chair of SIGI. Now that you've had a chance mm -hmm. to kind of sit in that seat for a little while, What's your sense of the tools that you and your colleagues will use both to help the new administration with its management agenda and addressing these ongoing management challenges and the pandemic recovery as it continues? And what are the tools that you'd like to have? Well, one of the major tools that we use, and, and you can see this um, both in the traditional work that we do, but in the, the, the PRAC space is ac having access to data. And, and that's more important than ever and having it in as timely a fashion as possible. Um, another challenge that we have is, is just the need to ramp up and ensure that we have sufficient people in situations where, uh, like at the Small Business Administration or at the Department of Labor, um, a, a massive amounts of, of money and, and significant degrees of risk are, are facing an agency and an OIG needs the community to come together and provide additional support to them so that they can respond to that challenge and we've 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 seen great things happening from the community coming together to help the SBA IG confront um, the the massively increasing number of investigations that it has so um, working ensuring that we can have the resources and that we can come work together to tackle these chances will, will set us up for success Allison Lerner Michael Horowitz thanks both very much for joining me today it's great to have you on the program Great to be here, Francis, thanks. Thank you. Up next, the number one story of the week, the Space Force gets formal approval from the new Commander-in-Chief. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the newest branch of the military could grow under the Biden administration. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. Now, the number one story of the week, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the Space Force has the, quote, full support of the Biden administration. Defense News reports General Jay Raymond, the chief of space operations, says he welcomes the opportunity to talk to the Biden administration about the sixth branch of the military and its accomplishments so far. Caitlin Johnson's deputy director of the Aerospace Security Project, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Eric Gomez is director of defense policy studies, the Cato Institute. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for coming on. Caitlin, do you think this announcement this week, this chain of events, was a big deal or was this kind of what people expected in the military community, the national defense community, regarding the future of the Space Force? Sure, thanks Francis for having me. It's nice to be on with you and Eric. Um, this was not surprising from the space policy community. You can uh, see online and, and many scholars have said that it's kind of inevitable, inevitable that the Biden administration would support the Space Force. Um, however, I think the chain of events in which it, uh, the announcement was made was a little surprising uh, and kind of amusing to some of us following these issues. 
Eric, um, your view on this, was it just that the rollout was, the, the kind of the response, the reaction was a little clunky, or was there something else more to this, do you think? I don't necessarily think there was something too much more here. And I wasn't surprised, really, that the administration came out with some support. I know that Space Force being such an important initiative of Donald Trump and that administration, some people worried that that might create too much of a linkage between Trump and the service. Uh, but support on the Hill is really strong. And even if Biden isn't a fan of the Space Force, and even if his administration uh, reflects that in some of their budget, it's going to have to get through the Congress. And that's where I think we're going to see a lot of support for keeping the service around and, and helping it grow. So that's where I wanted to go next, Eric. Where do you think we should look for markers in the budgets that are coming out from the White House and the way Congress starts to mark up both in appropriations and authorizations in 2021? Well, I think one of the first things that Space Force is going to have to do is establish a sense of identity for itself as a service. Um, I'm kind of, I was very skeptical of creating a new service, just to put it out there. I, I didn't think that this was the right way to go uh, for enhancing U.S. interest in space, um, but we did it and now we're here with it. And I think that's going to manifest itself in some interesting ways in the budget cycle in terms of battles over resources what sorts of activities the military does in space get put on the Space Force and how soon. So that's one thing I would look for in the budget cycle is seeing how much of a budget increase does the Space Force get from its first year to its second and what kind of things is it being asked to do or being expected to do by the Congress. Caitlin, you've spoken on this program before about what the Space Force has accomplished in its first year and a kind of a preview to the second year. What building blocks do you see the force laying in the next year to get us to where we should be thinking about the Space Force five years from now or 10 years from now or 25 years from now? Sure, Francis. I think you hit on a really critical point. And, and in my perspective, the U.S. military has had a, a issue recently or in the past two decades of focusing on the fight of today, the fight of tomorrow, and largely, largely ignoring the fight of 20, 30 years from now. And so I think the Space Force has a great opportunity to refocus itself, to remodel what it has been doing when it the same kind of organizations were under the Air Force, um, to think about what their mission is and what this kind of infinite mindset of um, what is the force of the future and how can they play that role. And so I'd look to see them um, establishing different uh, methods to getting there. I think looking at what they're investing in, what their research and um, acquisition dollars are going towards, as well as who is they're investing in. Um, right now they're pulling in people from the Air Force and they're starting to pull in people from the Navy and uh, Marines as well and Army. Um, and so looking at the cadre that is incoming, I think will be a, a good determination of this as well. Eric, I want to go back to your comment uh, a moment ago about not being in favor of the establishment of the Space Force. Now that we have it, what is the most important thing that you think the Space Force should do or that the, the DOD should do in general to ensure the success of the Space Force despite the reasons, whatever they were, that you weren't in favor of it in the first place? How to overcome the objections that, that you had. Well, so Dr. Robert Farley of the University of Kentucky uh, wrote a policy analysis for the Cato Institute about Space Force recently. And I think in that, well, in that piece, he lays out some of the bureaucratic and organizational challenges of a, having a new service 
And I think if the Space Force wants to succeed, then addressing some of those concerns is going to be important. And some of that will just come with time, um, but it needs to have things of like, how do we how do we measure the success of the Space Force? What kind of metrics do we use to tell if it's doing a good job or not? I don't think that's really decided yet. Um, what role does the Space Force play in US strategy more broadly? Is it primarily a support service or is it doing something else? And these are all things that um, in, in the policy paper that Rob Farley wrote for Cato, you know, he compared it to the Air Force. And when the Air Force came along, it had, one, one it was very large, uh, two, it had a lot of that sort of history of World War II and World War I to build off of. Space Force doesn't really have that as much. So it's going to be a difficult challenge. And that's where we're going to see, I, I think, a lot of these uh, power plays or, or um, organizational politics come into play between the Space Force and other branches as they try to figure out who is doing what in space for the U.S. military. So I'm going to watch that very closely uh, to see how does it shake out and where does the Space Force land in terms of these questions of organizational politics and bureaucratic uh, experience. Eric and Caitlin, thanks both very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Francis. Thank you, Francis. Thank you, Caitlin. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast when you sign up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. Back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks very much for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.